Amen. Let's take our Bibles and read Joshua 18. And this is now a segue into the landing of the book of Joshua. Joshua has led the children of Israel successfully into the promised land over the Jordan River. And as soon as they reached the Jordan River, they began to then take the land one battle after another, Jericho and Ai and the Gibeonites. And we remember all those battles. And now they're in the land and they're dwelling there, but there's still more work to be done. Because if you're like me, you're saved by grace, you're in the land of promise, spirit-filled, living out the Christian life, but there's more work to be done every single day. Have you guys ever grown a garden here on the Oregon coast? It is not easy, not for the faint of heart. It doesn't just happen overnight, no matter how hard you try and what seeds and soil you use. Thieves will come in at night and plant weeds next to your garden. Thieves will come in at night and steal. There's always battles. And so too, the Lord says, hey, you're a Christian, right on. You're in the promised land, okay. There's more work to be done. And as you guys remember, this Old Testament story of Joshua is a picture of a New Testament principle of the spirit-filled life. That the story in Moses, Genesis, and Exodus, and Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy, that's a picture of getting saved, delivered from Egypt. Our bondage is Moses delivered the children of Israel from their bondage. But we remember that they walked in the wilderness for 40 years, wandering and lost. They were for sure saved, but they weren't dialed into the things of God. And so too, some of you might say, you know what? When I got saved, it was kind of rough at first. I was saved, but I didn't know where I was going and I wasn't filled with power and there wasn't this overwhelming desire to go deeper, but I was saved until the Lord said, hey, it's time to go all in. It's time to receive more of me and it's time for me to receive all of you. And you're saved and there's a moment in your life, maybe you remember yours. I remember mine was age 20. When I finally surrendered to the Lord, he had saved me at age eight. And for 12 years, I wandered and I wondered and I explored and I experimented until the Lord finally said, you done yet? Are you, do you wanna go all in or not? And at age 20, I finally surrendered and said, Lord, take everything of my life. I don't care where I go or what you do. I will follow you all the days of my life. And the thing changed in my life. And we see this transition here as the children of Israel cross the Jordan River and say, yeah, Lord, we want all of you. And they begin to then take territory walking in the newness of life. But let's read a few verses and see how this continues to parallel and correlate with our spirit-filled Christian living. It says in verse 18, I'm gonna read four verses to you and then back up just a little bit. It says, now the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh. Everyone say Shiloh. Shiloh, Shiloh Inn. Wow, that's crazy. It's right here. And they set up the tabernacle of meeting there, and the land was subdued before them. Oh, that's a good day. But there remained among them the children of Israel, seven tribes, which had not yet received their inheritance. And then Joshua said to the children of Israel, how long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? Pick out from among you three men from each tribe and I will send them and they shall rise and go through the land, survey it according to their inheritance and come back to me. Verse five, and they shall divide it into their territory on the south of the house of Joseph shall remain in their territory in the north and you shall therefore for survey the land. Stop right there, eyes up here. Do you guys see what's happening? They now gather together. They've subdued the land and they're located in Shiloh. And yet Joshua looks around at the tribes that have received their inheritance, five in number. And he surveys quickly that there are seven tribes among the children of Israel that hadn't yet done what God had called them to do. That's a 60% loss according to what God has asked them to do. 40% of the tribes have gone in and done what they're supposed to do, but there's still 60% yet remaining of what God intended to do. How many of you guys here this morning would say, yeah, that sounds about right. There's about 40% done in my life that I can see God has done, but if I were to use fast numbers, there's probably at least more than half. I believe more than half of what God wants to continue to do in my life, of the ground that he wants to take, the territory he wants to dwell in the work he wants to do in our community and in your family. And Joshua deals with this head on in what we're gonna call love and truth. That God loves you just the way you are. Oh, he loves you. But he loves you too much to let you stay that way. He says there's more to do. 
Oh yeah, for sure, I love you. Oh yeah, you're in the promised land. I've given you the inheritance. But Joshua would look at you like he did these seven tribes and say, why are you neglecting, that's his word, not mine, neglecting the things that God's asked you to walk in? Get with the program. And he gives them love and truth. Notice though, verse one, I want you guys to see this, it's special to me. It says, now the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and they set up the tabernacle of meeting and the land was subdued before them. This is the first time we've seen this city and this word Shiloh in the Bible. It's its first mention right here. It's never been mentioned before and it literally means place of rest. Shiloh. This would be a very important place for the children of Israel for the next many, 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 many years. All the way until 2 Samuel chapter 6 when King David would leave Shiloh where he ruled. And he would say, you know what? Let's take the Ark of the Covenant and let's go to Jerusalem. But from now till then, they're going to be at Shiloh, this place of rest. And it's the first time it's ever mentioned. And I make kind of a big deal of it because of the attributes and ingredients surrounding this verse. It says that they assembled together at the tabernacle of meeting and the land was subdued and there was the whole congregation. Did you know that the Lord wants you to have rest in your soul? The Lord wants you to dwell in a restful, peaceful environment. He says, hey, I love you and I've done a work in you, but I see that there's unrest. I see that there's a lack of rest. I see that you're seeking rest in other things. And the Lord says, hey, I can give you rest right now. It's found in my presence with my people, following my ways and doing my word. And we see it evidenced so simply here. And I just want to remind myself and celebrate with you. The Bible says that in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. The Bible says that if we seek the Lord, that we'll know that he is God. As a matter of fact, Psalm 4610, one of my favorite Psalms. Can anybody just quote Psalm 4610? Be still and know that I am the Lord. Here it is right here. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Leave that verse right there. Go back one verse at verse 10. Look at what it says. Be still and know that I'm God. But then he declares, I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. Sometimes you want to just be still and know that God is God and that's good. But he goes on to say, I know what's happening. I'm going to be exalted in the nations. I'm going to be exalted in the earth. Sometimes we get all twisted and all tweaked out because of the affairs of mankind and because of the conspiracies and the viruses and the corruptions and the imbalances. And God says, hey, be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted in the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And when you know this, oh, you can be at peace. You can be at peace. If you're not at peace right now, I wonder if it's because you're not trusting that the Lord has a plan. As a matter of fact, look at the next verse, verse 46, 11. It goes on to then say, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is a refuge, Selah, which means to think about this. When you seek the Lord, when you truly dwell with his people, you will be in perfect peace. Like it says in Isaiah 26, 3, he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him because he what? Trusts in you. How's your peace meter right now? Do you have rest? Are you in Shiloh? Are you dwelling? This is the first time. It's taken this many chapters and this many books to get to a place called Shiloh? What happened? Battles and chaos and crazy. And here's my whole point, my whole application. The next time for you and your Christian journey, you're not at peace. Something's wrong. Okay, just stop. Pump the brakes. What's going on? Are you with the people of God? Are you in the will of God? Are you keeping your mind on God? If you do these things, you too will be kept in perfect peace. I love verse one. I wish it just ended right there. I wish it just said the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh, set up the tabernacle of meeting, and the land was subdued before them. What's the next verse? Verse two, it says this. What word? But. So many big buts in the scripture. But. Why is that but there? But. But, read it on the screen. But there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. This, again, is just the way it is. God is good. His peace is real. He he's changes everything. But there is still more work to be done. 60% to be exact, at least in this particular story. And this is what God tells us in the New Testament is working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, this is where God challenges us like this Joshua and our superior Joshua, which is Jesus, says, hey, you're saved, you're subdued, it's all good, but there's more to do. There's more territory. There's more battles. 
There's more things to be involved in in the things of God. And Jesus needs to remind you and remind me because we get distracted, we get defeated, we get silly, we get lazy, we get diluted. All It's a constant battle to stay engaged in the things of God. This is why we take communion every Sunday. This is why we renew our mind in God's word every single day. This is why we fellowship so we can stay sharp, so we can stay lit, so we can stay focused. Jesus actually rebuked his followers and says, guys, don't just store up treasure on earth. Don't be busy with the things of earth. It's so easy to be busy with the things of earth, isn't it? We're so mindful of the weather and mindful of the interest rates and mindful of our bank accounts and mindful of our health. We're so mindful of the horizontal realities. And God says, hey, don't just, don't just do that. You have to do that a little bit, but don't just do that. Instead, he challenged and invited and said, make sure and store up treasure in heaven where moth and rust and thief can't touch. Did you know that soon this life will pass and only things done for Christ will last? Chuck Smith didn't make up that quote, but he often used it to encourage his believers. Guys, soon this life will pass and only things done for Christ will last. Take the hill, take the territory. There's a temptation to do less and to sit back and kick back. As a matter of fact, the word he uses is relax or neglect. We'll get there in verse three in just a minute, but he encourages us. And I'll tell you, one of my favorite people to study in my life of Christianity to keep going is the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul was next level. He wouldn't quit for anything. One of my favorite portions of scripture is in Acts chapter 20, and Paul's preaching to the Ephesian elders there on the island of Miletus. And this is the verse I'd like to share with you. It's Acts 20, 24. Paul says this about his journey. He says, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Stop right there, eyes up here. Paul had just received word from the Holy Spirit and confirmation of brethren that his journey in Jerusalem would end in blood, that he would be chained and arrested and beaten and tried. And Paul says, why are you trying to make me cry? Remember that portion? Why are you guys getting sad about this? None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, that I may finish my race with joy and fulfill the ministry that was committed to me to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wow. I lose track so easily. I forget. I need to be refocused. And here, Joshua's looking at his friends, and he says, hey, there's seven tribes among you. What's going on? Isn't it awesome how the Lord just revives us, though? He's so kind. How many of you guys followed the Asbury revival over there in Kentucky or somewhere over there? And the, the spirit was pouring out, and, and all kinds of people were, were you know, conjecturing if it was good or bad or if it were these authentic. And all. Listen, people were showing up in droves, worshiping God, confessing sin, reading scripture, and fellowshipping. Can I get a big fat amen from South Beachers? Amen. What the heck? Out of nowhere. It wasn't contrived. It wasn't predicted. Somebody preached a message, and people said, hey, I want to get serious about God. Can you imagine? It's like, oh, well, you got to come back tomorrow for that. You know, what the heck, man? And I don't want to ever put roadblocks in my own life or in anybody else's life because we need to stay fired up. Let's just confess this isn't easy. The second law of thermodynamics is that everything is going from order to disorder. Have you seen this the last time you checked out the mirror? Have you looked in the mirror lately? Man, it's getting sadder and sadder every single day, is it not? I speak from experience here. It's going, everything's going from order to disorder. It's a second law of thermodynamics. And there's a, the, the law actually states unless a greater energy is introduced to the matter that is indeed falling apart. That's, that's a simplification of the law. So everything's getting worse unless something stronger comes in and stokes the flame and fuels the flame. And here God would say to you and say to me, guys, don't get worse in your Christianity. Take the hill, keep going, let revival pour out. Look at verse three, Joshua doubles down on this correction and admonition. He says, then Joshua said to the children of Israel, how long will you neglect to go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given to you? I love the way that he again gives truth and love. He shows what is our part, he shows what is God's part. And while this might hurt a little bit, he reminds us that God has given to you the land that you're possessing. God's already done his part. And he asks you gently and he asks you directly, how long are you gonna neglect this? That word neglect can be translated to relax. How long are you gonna be relaxed in the things of Christianity? 
How long are you gonna just kinda sit on the couch and stay home more than you ever have and not engage and do less and criticize more and just observe and read and write and kinda consider and be an armchair Christian quarterback when he says, no, don't be relaxed. Don't neglect, instead press in. And again, this is very important that you know this from a heart of love, that God loves you, he cares for you, He doesn't want you nor myself to be deceived and to come up short and to get less from what he's already accomplished in us. He's already won the battle. He's already won the war. And the fact it's 2023 should blow your mind. I mean, we're like 10 minutes from the rapture. It's gotta happen anytime now. This is extra innings. I can't believe we're still here. Why in the world are we still here? Because the Lord says, you're neglecting the things that I want you to take seriously. You're too relaxed. So what do we do? Well, he actually tells us, look at verse four. He says, pick out from among you three men from each tribe and I will send them and they shall rise and go through the land, survey it according to their inheritance and come back to me. Stop right there, eyes up here. You know what he says? You know what you need to do? Just take a walk. Get three guys from each tribe, 21 in totality, take a walk, look it around, write some stuff down, come talk to me and I'll show you exactly what God wants to do. Survey the land literally means to examine, open your eyes and learn and observe what is God doing? Have you ever heard the phrase before, he who sees it ought to seize it? If you see something, everyone go like this just a little bit. Just open your eyes. If you see, he who sees it, it's kind of cool. I'm the only one doing it, but that's okay. Anyways, he who sees it ought to seize it. Did you know that God made you for specific purposes that only you can walk in? He made me for specific purposes that only I can walk in. You can't do my work. I can't do your work. And what he wants you to do is just rise up. Go for a walk. Survey the land. I'll show you. The Bible says in Psalm 37, 4, to delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. That if you're just loving God and you're waking up every morning and looking at the birds and looking at the stars and the clouds and looking at Newport, clouds are clouds, clouds are everywhere, you know, and you're looking at creation and saying, Lord, I love you. I promise you, he will put desires in your heart. They might not be the same desires I share. You might have a desire to go minister at the old folks' home or Avamir Rehab Center, or to go to the high school and volunteer and say, do you guys have any needs for mentors? I would like to go through the background checks and the training. I would like to avail myself in these later days. Or maybe you're gonna go down to the soup kitchen or St. Stephen's and minister to the street people that have nowhere to go in inclement weather like this. Or maybe you're just gonna say, Lord, I wanna go on a mission trip. Is there any mission trips happening? We're sending people to Mexico in just a few months to help work on an orphanage down there. Riverview Christian Fellowship has been working on the bunkhouse for the orphan workers and all that. There's all kinds of things you can do and all he asks from you, hey, get off your blessed assurance and go for a walk and journal. Write some stuff down. This wouldn't be easy. This wouldn't be just normal. They would have to take that first step. But let me just remind you, God can't steer a parked car, but instead he wants to partner with you and he wants you to do something. One of the temptations in life is we can't do everything, right? You ever tried to do everything? I tried to do everything one time I ended up in the hospital. It's not good, man. You can't do everything, but you can do some things. You can do exactly what the Lord wants for you to do. This isn't gonna be overnight. This isn't gonna be easy. Do you think this survey would have been easy? Go survey the land, right? You think these guys were surveyors by like trade? This is what they, they worked for ODOT or something like that. You think this is what they were doing? Why were they standing around? Seven tribes just standing there. Five tribes have taken the land. Their inheritance had been there. And I keep my, my, wiping my nose, sorry about that. But they found themselves just kind of hanging out and neglecting to take responsibility. This is a core problem within each and every one of us. It's just easier to do nothing and let other people do everything. There are some statistics out there, not tried and true necessarily, but they say that 5% of every church does 95% of the work. of every church does 100% of the giving. Only the top 10% are the ones who give and serve. Not everyone's doing their part. There's a temptation to just be a consumer, not a contributor. I don't really want to get involved. I don't really want to get serious. And when the pastor frustrates me or the church grows in a way I don't agree with or when there's some sort of problem going on at the church, I'm just going to go to another area. I don't really want to claim the land as my own. I don't want to commit. Now, let me say this, because that sounds real negative and real dire. I don't believe that's the case here at South Beach Church. I think there are dozens and dozens and hundreds and hundreds of people here at South Beach Church that say, we want to take the land. I want God to do in my heart what he has determined to do in my heart. 
I want to go all in. I, I don't want to be relaxed. And I, I don't want to neglect. I want to be serious about the things God's called me to. And you guys, guys and gals like are doing that every single day. And I need that reminder. You need that reminder, that encouragement. Just keep going. Love your family first. Love your community, your coworkers, the area where God's called you to. Don't neglect it. You ever seen a house that's been neglected? Seen a car that's been neglected? Seen a yard that's been neglected? It just catches up. God says, don't do that with your spiritual journey. Don't just sit back and hope somebody else gets after it. He who sees it ought to seize it. And I need to hear this message every single day, don't you? Because we're going to heaven one day. And when you get to heaven, you're not going to walk in. (gasps) Wow! Hey, I'm not done with my Netflix series. Can I come back? I got some more things to do down below before. This is cool. This, you guys did a really good job over here. This was crazy. I got a few things. I'm working on my bowling game a little bit, you know, or I want to go back to the gym and chisel my abs. I got some things. You're not going to get to heaven and want to play Fortnite when you get there. That's not going to be on your agenda. And so many things down here. Take our time. Take our peace. Take our agenda. And he says, why are you guys neglecting these things? What's going on? How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord your God has given you? That's so cool. God has done it for you already. All he wants you to do is step out on the water, take you into deeper waters where feet may fail, but faith won't. He tells them what to do. He says, hey, grab four guys. Go check it out. Look at verse five. And they shall divide into seven parts. Judah shall remain in their territory on the south. And the house of Joseph shall remain in their territory on the north. So they're surrounded by top and bottom. Verse six. And you shall therefore survey the land in seven parts and bring this survey here to me that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. Notice that this is a little different, but it's also the exact same as the dispersion of the other properties. There's still a casting of lots, but now there's some work to be done previously because they didn't really know what to do with this region of seven tribes. And so he says, I want you to go out and bring a survey back. We'll put it all together. We'll shuffle the deck and we'll cast lots and God will decide what you're going to get, but I'm not going to do it without your participation because God is looking, the Bible says. The eyes run to and fro throughout the whole earth that God might find a person whose heart is loyal towards him that he might show himself strong on their behalf. What verse is that, by the way? Starts with Second Chronicles 16.9. Well, that's it, actually. Second Chronicles 16.9, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro. This was a rebuke, by the way. You guys should know this by now. Second Chronicles 16.9 to King Asa. God had contracted King Asa. He was a good king. He was doing things, but he got sloppy in his later days. He got lazy. He neglected the things of God. He started to do other silly horizontal things, and King Asa was rebuked and said, hey, Asa, what are you doing? Don't you know that God wants to go through all of the earth looking for men just like you to show himself strong and powerful on their behalf? But the verse goes on, you did foolishly, O King Asa. He started thinking about other stuff. You started doing it your way. Be careful. And whatever micro adjustment you need to make this morning, I don't even know what day it is or what month it is, probably February still, whatever micro adjustment you need to make as a man or woman of God, okay? Got a pulse? You got a purpose. You're saved. You're going to heaven. That's guaranteed. You're in the promised land. You're spirit-filled, born again. Yay, sins are forgiven. But you're here. God wants you and your testimony and even the suffering you're going through right now to be redeemed for his glory and for others' good. He can use you right where you're at. As a matter of fact, all you need to do right now, in your heart or even out loud, is make a decision and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua will end with a sermon much like that. Those are actually his words. And he will say, you do what you want to do. But as for me and my house, we serve the Lord. This is what we're going to do. And you might have a year or two or a decade that you've wasted or a moment recently that you forfeited to other things and God says, okay, let's get over it. Survey the land. Write it down. I'm not going to do it without you, but I will do it with you. 
He says in verse 7, but the Levites, they have no portion among you, for the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance, and Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they have received their inheritance beyond the Jordan on the ease which Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given to them. Verse 7 simply reminds the children that there's a bunch of tribes that have already been taken care of, the Levites are going to be taken care of, and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they're on the other side of the Jordan. So when Joshua's given this rebuke, he says, those other guys, they've already been taken care of. So I don't need to worry about them, which by the way, isn't that a principle in our life? Don't worry about other people and what God has done in their life. Is this not a snare for all of us? Keeping up with the Joneses or this church or that ministry person or this couple and will they have and they did and will they're not. And just like Jesus said to John there on the last chapter of the book of John when he said to Peter, Peter, follow me. Don't worry about them. Don't worry about what's going on. It's a trap to check out the grass on the other side and looks greener over there, you know? And the Lord says, hey, stay focused where I've called you. I will care for you just as I've cared for them. He reminds us of that here. Let's kind of get some ground here. Look at verse eight. It says, then the men arose to go away. I've got that circled. And Joshua charged those who went to survey the land saying, go walk through the land, survey it and come back to me that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord in Shiloh. Verse nine, so the men went and they passed through the land and they wrote in the survey in the book in seven parts of the cities and they came back to Joshua at the camp at Shiloh and Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord and there Joshua divided the land of the children of Israel according to their division. Stop right there again, eyes up here. This would not have been easy. This wasn't a weekend adventure. They jumped in their four by fours and cruised around, you know, to the Golan Heights and went on the, you know, the Tiberius Freeway and all that. That was not the case. How many of you guys think this was super hard to do? Instead of just divvying up the land, they even got like the shorter end of the stick. He's like, hey, go right down and survey all the territory. Did you know that when they went to these territories, there was bad guys still living there? Can you imagine walking into a bad guy city like, we're just here taking some pictures, you know, and oh, that looks nice over there, you know, and you're kind of just surveying the land, like that would be big time. Do you not think that when you step out into taking more territory for God by starting a life group, that there's going to be pushback from the enemy? Or when you volunteer to do Sunday school, and you teach Sunday school, and one of those kids walks up to you and throws up all over you? Or when something bad happens or when you get a bad review or you invite somebody over to your house and nobody shows up or you witness to your granddaughter and she tells you you're a kook or whatever the case is and you try and take back the land, it's not going to be easy. And so often in our Christianity, we're like, I thought the Lord told me to do this. He did tell you to do it. He did tell you to get married. Why is it so hard to be married then? Because it's a battle. He did tell you to have kids. He did tell you to start a ministry. He did tell you to start faithfully reading the Bible. Why is it so hard to get up now? He did tell you to give of your first fruits. Why is it so hard to give of my first fruits? He did tell you to witness and to share. He did tell you to walk holy. Don't expect it to be easy. Just keep going. But do expect it to be fruitful. It will work. My mom and dad are here right there, and I've shared this story many times, but back in the late 90s, they uh, signed up for some marriage counseling. Their marriage was kind of going through some testing times, and so they met with Frank Parrish, and Fra Frank Parrish met with them and did marriage counseling. If you've ever been to marriage counseling, you know, it's just a wonderful opportunity to kind of get things in the open, and so Frank Parrish, I wasn't at the counseling, by the way. I was only 13 years old, but I heard about it later, and Frank Parrish just essentially told them what to do. He said, okay, here's what's going on. Here's what you should do. Here's how it's going to go, and, and he sent them on their way, and so here's what my parents did. They went back home. And you know what they did? They did it. They actually put it into action. And so the next week they came back and they sat with Frank Parrish and he said to them, he said, well, how are you guys doing? They said, oh, we're way better. Everything's fine. We fixed it. And Frank looked around and said, like, what are you talking about? How'd you fix it? What would you do? And he said, oh, we just took what you told us to do and we did it. And Frank Parrish, Pastor Frank Parrish said, nobody ever does what I say to do. <laughs> you did it? You actually did it? You put the principles into play and it worked? What in the world? Amen. You just do it. You just do it. See, here's the problem is we resist. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love and to love your neighbor even as yourself. Well, well who's my neighbor? You know? He said to love your neighbor. Like, well, not, not, not really love my neighbor, neighbor. And forgive your enemies. Well, not really, really, really forgive my enemies. You don't really mean it, do you? Pray for those who persecute you. <laughs> Pray that they get arrested. We just don't do it. 
love people unconditionally, forgive, witness, preach, share, serve, we complicate things. Well, I'll do it if I can afford it. I'll do it if I understand it. I'll do it if I want to do it. And Jesus says, hey, let's do it. These guys stepped up. They went and did it. They surveyed the land. They brought it back. And you know what happened next? All of a sudden, Joshua gets all the survey papers. He puts it all together. He's like, okay, we're gonna, this is lot number one. This is lot number seven. We're going to put your names here. We're going to cast the lots. We're going to find out who gets it. We're going to give you what God has desired to give you. It's so fun when you know what God's called you to do, to step out on purpose in obedience to him, no matter how big the giant is that you're facing. Can I encourage you? It's not about how big you are, and it's not about how big the giant is. It's about how big our God is every single time. When King David threw a rock at Goliath, his reason for doing so was historic because God had been faithful to him. King David wasn't the best rock thrower and the best giant slayer. It had nothing to do with him. It had to do with God. Therefore, he had the confidence, and he had the authority, and he had the courage to just do the next right thing. We'll look at verse 11. It says, now the lot of the tribe of the children of Benjamin came up according to their families and the territory of their lot came out between the children of Judah and the children of Joseph. Stop right there. Eyes up here. We're now going to have the history and the lot arrangement of the next seven tribes, beginning with Benjamin. He was the youngest of Jacob and Rachel. He was the baby. He was the son of the right hand is what his name literally means. And he has always been and even will be here a peacemaker he was a peacemaker. He was the one who was sent to Egypt and Joseph spared his brother's life because Benjamin was alive and we see this peacemaker about him. He's actually in between Judah and Joseph. You guys remember the tension that happened between Judah and Joseph? Joseph, the youngest brother at the time of Jacob, was sold as a slave by all of his brothers. And yet we find here peace is made. And can I just encourage you, let's be like Benjamin. Let's be peacemakers. Everywhere we go. The Bible says in the book of Romans, as much as it pertains to you, be at peace with all men. Not all men are peaceful. Some are cantankerous, some are fighters, some are dividers, some are haters. The Bible doesn't talk to you about them. The Bible talks to you about you. As much as it pertains to you, be at peace with all men. Don't, don't worry about all the schisms and isms and divisions. It's above your pay grade, out of your control. You can be a peacemaker, though, as unto the Lord, like Benjamin here. Well, the rest of the allotment is now divvied out and given the descriptions of the land of Benjamin. Let's study now. And the Bible, I believe, is given to us in so many different ways. It's medicine for our hearts, and it's instruction for our feet, and it's strength for our hands, and it's renewal for our minds. But we're going to study the next two chapters kind of quickly. So the rest of Benjamin's descriptions are there in verse chapter 18. Look at verse 19, though. We're going to go to the next tribe. It says here in chapter 19, verse 1, the second lot came out for Simeon, for the tribe of the children of Simeon, according to their families. And their inheritance was within the inheritance of the children of Judah. Stop right there, eyes up here. Simeon is not necessarily a renowned tribe. It's actually one of those tribes that does eventually get lost in the history of Israel. Here they're given their land and allotment, but it says specifically they were given a land and allotment that kind of blended borders with Judah. Judah had so much land that Judah actually gave some of its land to Simeon. There wasn't enough room for Simeon, and their borders kind of touched, and they were kind in this way, which, by the way, is a great contrast two weeks ago when we saw Manasseh and Ephraim. Remember Manasseh and Ephraim, these kind of attitude boys, Joseph's kids, and they're like, we need more land because we're so big. And they wanted more land, and Joshua was like, well, why don't you take the land, you big dog? And they said, well, it's too hard. You know, and they had all this attitude problem. What a contrast. Judah and Simeon, they're like, hey, we can share. Come on over. There's enough to go around. And we see, I believe, this high note in the children of Israel. But I would also point out this. There is a prophecy in the book of Genesis, chapter 49, where Jacob, who's the father of all these tribes, Benjamin and Simeon and Judah and Joseph, he actually prays and prophesies blessings, listen, and curses on some of the children that he had brought to earth. One of the curses is for Simeon. And he actually says to Simeon, he's like, hey, Simeon, you got a problem. You made me look real bad that one time you killed all the Shechemites and man, they did your sister Dinah dirty and so you tricked him and went and took blood on your own hands and it got the whole thing all messed up. And he says, so Simeon, your borders are actually going to be dissolved and your boundaries are going to be forgotten. Now, I say that to say this. 
It was prophesied and promised, and it happened. He told the children of Simeon, you're just going to kind of be cursed because of the things you did. Look at verse 9. It says the inheritance of the children of Simeon was included in the share of the children of Judah, for the share of the children of Judah was too much for them. Therefore, the children of Simeon had their inheritance within that people. Now, again, it's cool that Judah was able to share. I like that. But it's also prophesied. The Bible says that you're going to reap what you sow. God's not mocked. You do good, you're going to get good. You play with fire, you're going to get burned. These are principles that do not bend for anyone. These are promises that God offers to all people. Seek me and you'll find me. Mess with me and you're going to get messed with also. This is just the way it is. And we see this played out here in Simeon's borders as they find themselves blended away. Well, let's look at the next tribe. The next tribe is Zebulun. Look at verse 10. And the third lot came out to the children of Zebulun according to their families and the border of their inheritance was as far as Sari. Now, Zebulun means exalted. I didn't tell you the meaning of Simeon. I wrote it down. It means heard. You can write that down if you're a note taker in your Bible. Zebulun, the name of Zebulun literally means exalted. And they're given an inheritance. It's kind of a belt, if you would. If you're kind of watching right right here, I'm making this kind of symbol. It goes from the Sea of Galilee all the way through Israel eastward, if that's east, westward, all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. And Zebulun had this amazing little stretch there in the northern part of Israel because they were exalted in this way. And in that prophecy, in Genesis 49, Jacob said of Zebulun, you guys are going to be a haven for ships. You guys are going to be fishermen and things are going to happen. So they had a freshwater port on one side and the Mediterranean Sea on the other side. God knows what he's doing and bless them in that way. Interesting, they're called exalted though. Exalted is kind of a weird word. It always reminds me of 1 Peter 5 that says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will exalt you in due season. And that's just the Lord's call, how the Lord does it. Your call, humble yourself. Humble yourself below him, and then he will indeed do what he's promised to do in your life. What are you waiting for right now? What do you need right now? You need something to break. You need the Lord to be faithful to the promises over your life. What does he ask from you? Just humble yourself. Man, stay humble. Stay humble. And God, like he did to Zebulun, he promised them they'd be a haven for ships. And what indeed happened? They were a haven for ships. Humble yourself daily and trust the Lord for the promises over your life. He's not done with you yet. Well, the description is given for the land of Zebulun. Look at verse 17. Jump all the way down to the land of Issachar. Kind of a cool name. The fourth lot came out to Issachar for the children of Issachar according to their families. And their territory went from Jezreel and included Chiseloth and Shunem. And it keeps going and describes the land of Issachar. I did read to you though, Jezreel. Jezreel, also known as, does anyone know what Jezreel is also known as, or maybe your Bibles have it indicated? It's the valley of Jezreel, which is also the valley of, starts with Megiddo, Armageddon. This would be the valley of Megiddo, the valley of Armageddon, one of the biggest battlefields in the history of mankind. And there Issachar is given this region amongst other regions. I say that because Issachar's name literally means there is recompense. There's judgment. And it's a promise of God to look at the affairs of mankind and to say, one day I will judge mankind. That's my job. I know my job description. I'll do it. You don't have to be the judge. I have it under control. And in the valley of Megiddo, Armageddon, a future prophecy still awaits where the battle of all battles will take place. As a matter of fact, historically, Napoleon Bonaparte, the great French Revolution leader, he marched in this area, and when he saw the Valley of Megiddo, history tells us when he saw the plains, he said, oh, this is the perfect place for a paintball war. (laughs) He didn't say paintball. He said for an epic battle. He even said, Napoleon Bonaparte, this would be the hill, the valley, where the last battle of all mankind takes place. Well, Issachar means recompense, and we see that prophecy flowing directly into that. We'll look at verse 24. The land of Asher. And the fifth lot came out for the tribe of the land of Asher, according to their families and their territory included. And then it lists the details of Asher. Now, check this out. Asher is a small tribe. Not a lot is mentioned about Asher. Not a lot of prominent things happen. In the New Testament, actually, Asher is only mentioned twice. Once generically in the book of Revelation, when all the tribes are mentioned consecutively, Asher gets a mention, but it's mentioned only one other times in the gospels and it's in the gospel of Luke, Asher. 
And it's mentioned because there's a woman who's been waiting for the Messiah. Now, the name Asher means happy. It means happy. It was a happy little tribe. And in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Luke, the Bible says that the parents of Jesus, Mary and Joseph, they bring him into the temple to dedicate him to the Lord on the eighth day to have him circumcised. And Simeon sees him and prophesies, this is the one, this is the one. But it's not just Simeon. There's another woman there. What's her name? Anna, Anna, she's been a virgin for eight, or she was a virgin until she got married for seven years, and then she, her husband died, and she was a, a widow until she was 84, and so every single day as a widow, she served the Lord and waited for the arrival of the Messiah, and the Bible says that when she saw Mary and Joseph and Jesus, oh, she prophesied, and she saw the fulfillment of the Lord. As a matter of fact, I have it marked here. I want to read it to you. This is amazing. This is Luke chapter 2. It says, now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with the husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him, that's Jesus, to all those who were looking for the redemption in Jerusalem. Stop right there, eyes up here, wow. We can learn a lot just from this little woman. I don't know if she was little, actually, this woman. That she was happy. She's from the tribe of Asher. What made her happy? Every day of her life, in the good, the bad, and the ugly, she served the Lord faithfully until she was old in her days. And the Lord says, I see you, Anna. I see every single thing you've done. And you're gonna get a little spot in the gospels. You're gonna see Jesus. You're gonna recognize him. And like we learned from her, you too, if you wanna be fulfilled, you wanna walk in happiness and joy, it comes from your relationship and expectation with Jesus Christ. Well, the land of Asher and the details are given there. Let's look at the land of Naphtali. Look at verse 32. It says, the sixth lot came out to the children of Naphtali for the children of Naphtali according to their families. Now, the word Naphtali means wrestling. Now, if you don't know this already, I'll let you guys know, but wrestling is the greatest sport on earth, right? Amen? It's the greatest sport on earth. There's no other sport like wrestling. I like all sports. Wrestling is the greatest of all sports. It's the oldest sport in the history of mankind, and it's wrestling, but it also parallels the reality of our lives, that everywhere we go, we're wrestling. There's a battle. The Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities. There's wrestling, there's battles, there's fighting. And this area of Naphtali, man, they would get picked on their entire lives. They were in the northern region. This is known as the Galilee of Galilees or the Galilee of the Gentiles. This would be an area where the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the bad guys would always come down. And these guys, the children of Naphtali, would always be defending themselves and always be fighting back. You guys ever feel like you're always wrestling? Just ne never stops. You should say yes right now, by the way, because you are. And if you don't feel it, then something else is wrong. You're wrestling. Interesting, though, I'm going to read to you what Jesus said, actually what Isaiah said about this area. This is Isaiah 9. It's a prophecy. It says, Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, Laughed Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them, a light has shined. Does anyone remember that portion of scripture, which is a promise and a prophecy of Jesus coming to the land of darkness? As a matter of fact, so prominent was this prophecy that Jesus actually quoted it himself and it said about him in the book of Matthew. It says, now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he came and he dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. And that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, a people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region in the shadow of death, light has dawned. Listen, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Who did Jesus preach this message to? People who lived in Lincoln County. People who lived in darkness. People who lived in a difficult place. You ever thought about Lincoln County? Man, this place is nuts. 
I'm in a fellowship with a bunch of pastors and we talk about each other's churches and with each other and encourage each other. And they constantly encourage me. I said, Luke, the coast is fallow ground. It's hard. It's difficult. It's not easy to display Jesus and to reach people. And yet Jesus went to those regions of darkness and difficulty and wrestling. Those areas, and he said, hey, that's why I'm here, to preach to those who are disenfranchised, those who are hurting, to those who are marginalized. And it's such a blessing to be in Lincoln County with you guys, letting our light shine, knowing that Jesus is for this county, for this town, for our communities, for the lost. He's for the hurting. He's for the ones that aren't yet found. The lost children of Lincoln County. Do you know that? Is if you feel like you're wrestling, if you feel like it's tough, if you feel like it's dark, you're not wrong. It's what you do in light of that. I wrestled in high school. I wrestled in college. And every time I wrestled, I would look at the opponent I'm about to wrestle, and he wanted to kill me. Every single time, that guy's getting ready to kill me. And my coach would come up to me and say, hey, you got to go kill him. Different words we would use, but you got to go win. So too, the Lord would look at you and say, don't quit. Don't give up. Yeah, it's dark. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, you're wrestling. Yeah, it's not easy. But that doesn't mean that you're not exactly right where you need to be in the land that I've called you to. Hey, look at this. Look at verse 40 to the land of Dan. It says, the seventh lot came out to the tribe of the uh, children of Dan according to their families. Now, Dan means judge. And indeed, Dan was a judge. Let me say it in a bad way. He judged things too much. Sometimes we judge things and we think we know and he became way too judgy of his own situation. As a matter of fact, it says, look, jump down with me to verse 45 and four, or 46 and 47. It says, me jarkin and Rakan with the region near Joppa. This is where he was supposed to be. And the border of the children of Dan went beyond these because the children of Dan went up to fight against Leshem. And he took it and they struck it with the edge of the sword and took possession of it and dwelt in it. And they called Leshem, they called they called Leshem Dan after the name of Dan, their father. Stop right there, as up here. I read that real fast, but let me just tell you what it says. They were given regions. They were given cities, and yet they went beyond these borders. That's what it says. They went outside of where they were given, and instead of staying on Joppa on the Mediterranean coastline there where Cornelius would get saved and Simon the Tanner and miracles would happen years and years down the road, they said, we don't like it here. It's too weird. It's too hard. So they went northward where it was easier to their, to their thoughts. But it wasn't easier in reality. And you who know and have studied Israel and have studied the history of the tribe of Dan, Dan would be the first ones to get picked on, the first ones to get picked off, the first ones to fall into pagan idolatry and carnality. There's actually, if you're going to Israel with us in just a couple of days, we're going about 30 days or something like that. When we go to Israel, we'll go to Tel Dan, the northern region there, separated by Syria on one side and Lebanon on the other side, and Dan and the Golan Heights, and we'll see the ruins in the wreckage of this tribe of Dan where they made sacrifices to a golden calf and did all kinds of silly things because, listen, here's why. Because they judged the land that God had given to them too much. They didn't like it. They wanted more. They wanted other. They wanted different. Did you know that we want more other and different than what God has given to you? You're going to get in trouble every single time. You might think it right or it might go your way for a second, but it's going to come back to bite you. That indeed happened. Man, let God be the judge of your inheritance of what you want, he wants for you. Guys, look at verse 49. This is the end of the division of the seven tribes. The seven tribes have gotten everything that they were supposed to get, but there's one more person, one more family, and it's, it's Joshua. And it says, and when they had made an end of the dividing of the land of the inheritance according to their borders, the children of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua the son of Nun. According to the word of the Lord, they gave to him the city that he asked for, which was Timnath Sirah, in the mountains of Ephraim. And they built the city and he dwelt in it. And these were the inheritances with Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the father of the tribes of the children of Israel divided as an inheritance by lot in Shiloh before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So they made an end of the dividing the country. Notice that the first shall be last. Joshua, who's a picture of our Savior, Jesus. As a matter of fact, we're going to sing one last song and close and worship together and, and, and pray for each other. I'm going to have Paul come up and lead us. And as we do this, we put our attention on Jesus. Because here's Joshua coming in last. And he says, hey, everyone's been taken care of. Everyone has what they want. Now I want Timnath Shira or whatever it's called there. You guys can read it again. I want this area, Timnath Shira, which means abundant portion. Did you know that it was similar to the portion of, of Israel that, that Caleb wanted? It was a hilly country, a mountainous country, full of giants. 
Because Joshua wasn't done. Joshua wasn't looking for a retirement. He wasn't looking for less. He wasn't looking for other. But instead he said, in my latter days, I'm going to keep going till the day that I die. How many of you guys want an abundant portion? Let's just do me a favor. I want an abundant portion. An abundant portion comes your way, not when things are easy, but when things are hard. Timnath, Zira. I'll take that area. That's what I want because I want to grow. I want to be challenged. I don't want the easy road, and I don't think any of us do here either. We've studied the scriptures. We know what's going on. I am so grateful to be alive right now. I know, and so should you, that your days are numbered. You're not always going to be alive. Your day is appointed for your death. You will not miss it. You don't have to worry about it another day. What you do have to worry about is the other days, the day that you're living, the days that you have to invest, the days that you have to go all in, the days that you have to surrender and to take back the land that God has asked you to take back that has been taken wrongfully from him. He's already given you land. Why do you neglect? Why are you so relaxed in these areas of disciplines and of service and of giving? Trust me, you will not get to heaven and say, man, I wish I was less involved. I wish I was doing less. I wish I had more free time. But instead, God says, no, stir up and strengthen the things that remain. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me right now as we sing to the Lord this closing song. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to be prayed for and to respond to Jesus that he might soften your heart, that he might minister to you. Father, in Jesus' name now, we thank you that indeed you are for us, not against us. That, Lord, you give us another day, another day to repent, another day to go deeper. Another day, Lord, to say, I want to go all in. I'm sorry, Lord. Another day to simply say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And you told these guys then, you said, hey, why don't you guys take a walk? Just take a walk. Bring a journal. Survey the land. Just do that. Write it down. Bring it back to me. Let's start with that. Maybe that's what you would have us to do today. Just survey the land. What's going on? Are you married? How's your marriage? Does your marriage need healing this morning? Does your marriage need revival? There's no shame if it does. This is a broken world. It's a mess down here. If it feels like you're wrestling, if you feel like you have enemies, if you feel like there's battles, it's because there is. It's not easy. And yet Jesus went to the darkest region of his territory. He said, the light is shining in the darkness. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Maybe your relationship with your kids is out of balance. Maybe you missed a few things and now you're paying for the consequences and you need restoration. Do you know the Lord can restore you? He can restore and heal. Only the Lord can heal. Is there somebody in your family right now that's estranged from you? They're not in fellowship with you. You've done your part. You've given the peace branch. You've reached out and now you just need a miracle. Maybe there's something in your singleness. You're not married. You, your, your kids are fine or... You don't have kids, but you're just, man, I want to go all in, Jesus. I want to go all in and take the territory. I need you. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you at this time as we sing together, if you need prayer in that way, you just want to respond to come down to the altar. Come down to the front of the altar and just come down here. Someone's going to come behind you, just pray prayer for you. Just you coming down to the altar, even right now, is your sacrifice and it's your admittance saying, Lord, I need you. I confess, Lord, I need you to soften my heart, renew my mind, and do for me what I cannot do for myself, Lord. I need you to work in my life. And as you step out obediently, humbly, the Lord promises to meet you. He promises to meet you people are coming down right now let's sing together and as we're singing come down just get prayed for this is going to be our closing song it's an opportunity to say yes Lord I want more of you in my life let's sing together